0: Welcome to the election ride home for Tuesday, March 10th, 2020. I'm your host, Jackson Bird, with a summary of election news. Today, national polling continues to look up for Biden, a state-by-state breakdown of the day's elections, plus how election security and coronavirus are affecting the 2020 presidential race. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. There's a new national poll out from Quinnipiac showing Biden in the lead over Sanders 54 to 35. The poll was conducted March 5th to 8th and has a margin of error of 2.8. Bill Sher pointed out on Twitter that the ideological and generational divide is still very much in play among voters nationally. Of those identifying as moderate or conservative, 65% support Biden while 23% support Sanders. Of those identifying as very liberal, 62% support Sanders, while 33% support Biden. Voters over the age of 65 support Biden 80 to 11, while voters aged 18 to 34 support Sanders 71 to 21. Quoting Quinnipiac In head to head matchups with President Trump among registered voters, Biden gets support from more than half of registered voters against the incumbent president, while Sanders does not. Biden leads Trump 52 to 41 percent, and Sanders leads Trump 49 to 42 percent. Biden and Sanders also do better than Trump when it comes to candidate traits. While 62 percent say Sanders is honest, and 51 percent say Biden is honest, only 33 percent say Trump is honest. Biden has good leadership skills, say 52% of voters, while 45% say Sanders has good leadership skills, and 42% say Trump has good leadership skills. On empathy, 64% say Sanders cares about average Americans, while 59% say Biden cares about average Americans, and 43% say Trump cares about average Americans, end quote. The poll also asked voters about the current administration's handling of coronavirus and the two Democratic candidates' potential to handle such a crisis. Greg Sargent, writing for The Washington Post, broke this out into three of the key demographics President Trump will need to win over—college-educated white voters, independents, and women. Quoting Sargent, The poll also finds that registered voters say by 56% to 40% that former Vice President Joe Biden, the most likely Democratic nominee, would do a better job than Trump handling a crisis. Among college-educated whites, that's 54% to 42%. Among independents, it's 59% to 33%. And among women, it's 63% to 32%. End quote. Overall, this poll spelled bad news for President Trump and better news for Vice President Biden than for Senator Sanders, as most polls have since Super Tuesday. But with six states voting tonight, we'll see if the tides change. Mini Tuesday, Big Tuesday, Not Quite So Super Tuesday, People have been calling it all kinds of things, but whatever you call it, today, six more states are voting in Democratic primary elections. Idaho, Michigan, Mississippi, Missouri, North Dakota, and Washington. It's less than half the size of Super Tuesday, but it will be the first real test of Senator Sanders and Vice President Biden since almost all of the other candidates dropped out, many of them endorsing Vice President Biden. The biggest delegate grab at stake is Michigan, with 125 delegates. I did a deep dive on Michigan yesterday, so if you missed it and you're curious, you can go back and listen to that. But in brief, quoting Politico. Bernie Sanders is banking on a repeat of his 2016 upset victory here against Hillary Clinton to resurrect his campaign. But a big win for Joe Biden would put him on a glide path to the nomination. Quoting The Hill, a Monmouth University poll released on Monday showed Biden leading Sanders by 15 points in the state, while the Real Clear Politics polling average on Monday showed the former vice president with a 22.6-point lead. Polls have been wrong in the past, though. Sanders trailed Clinton by double digits in some polls leading to the 2016 primary, and he was able to pull off a victory of less than two percentage points. End quote. Turning to Idaho, with only 20 delegates, the campaigns haven't given it much love this year. Like, really, not only has there been little to no polling, but there have also been very few ads. Joe Biden literally hasn't spent any money in Idaho. Quoting Politico, Few have visited the rock-ribbed Republican state in 2020, and none attended the state Democratic Party's signature event, the Frank and Bethine Church Gala, last weekend. Pete Buttigieg was originally scheduled to be the keynote speaker before dropping out of the race. He was replaced by Elizabeth Warren, but then she dropped out. The remaining campaigns sent video greetings and surrogates in their stead. End quote. The Hill notes that Sanders beat Clinton by 55 points in Idaho in 2016. but since then Idaho has changed from a caucus to a primary. Sanders tends to perform better with caucuses and Biden better with primaries, so we'll see if that impacts things at all. On to Mississippi, with 36 delegates where Biden is leading in the polls 77% to Sanders's 22. This is also one of the only states where Biden actually outspent Sanders, though only by about $4,000. Quoting Politico, Sanders' track record here isn't promising. In 2016, Hillary Clinton defeated him 83% to 17%. African-American women cast nearly half the vote, and Sanders lost them 90 to 10. And Sanders, who lacks broad support among black Democrats, didn't help his cause here when he scrapped a Friday campaign event in Jackson to concentrate on beefing up his on-the-ground efforts in Michigan. End quote. Sanders has sent several of his black surrogates across the state to stump for him, however, competing against Biden's recent endorsement from Mississippi Representative Benny Thompson. The electorate in Mississippi is nearly 71% African-American, which is Biden's strongest demographic, so it is pretty safe to say Mississippi will go to Biden. And now on to Missouri, the only other state where Biden has outspent Sanders, and another one where he is banking on the support of African-American voters. Missouri has 68 delegates up for grabs. Sanders only lost Missouri by about 2,000 votes in 2016. But on the other hand, the Real Clear Politics polling average currently has Biden up by 30 points. Moving on to North Dakota, which, like Idaho, has basically no polling information, and Biden has spent zero dollars there. Despite not spending any cash, Biden does have endorsements from several Democratic elected officials, including former Senators Heidi Heitkamp, Byron Dorgan, and Kent Conrad, as well as former Representative Earl Pomeroy. Sanders, meanwhile, has the endorsement of Representative Ruth Buffalo, the first Native American woman elected to the state legislature, and he's the only one of the two of them that has any advertisements running in the state. He also won North Dakota by 40 points in 2016, leading many people to believe he will win again. However, with just 14 delegates, it is the smallest get of the night. North Dakota is also doing a new thing this year they're calling a firehouse caucus, quoting Politico. The contest, essentially a primary run by the party rather than state election officials, will take place at 14 caucus sites across the state and allows caucus goers to cast a single ballot and leave, instead of requiring them to wait around for multiple rounds of voting. Voters can also mail in their ballots, and the change in format is designed to increase turnout. End quote. So we'll see how that goes for North Dakota. And finally, Washington State, 89 delegates, Sanders has spent 60 times as much as Biden in Washington. Pundits believe he'll be winning the state in large part because he won it in a landslide by nearly 50 points in 2016. Though since Super Tuesday, Biden has been gaining in the polls, outpacing Sanders by a couple of points in a few of those polls. Washington does vote by mail, so despite being one of the state's hardest hit by the COVID-19 outbreak, turnout shouldn't be too affected. That said, even though it's shaping up to be one of the closest competitions of the night, it might take a while before we have complete results. Politico notes that it's expected to take several days to tally the ballots. But in as much as we do have results tonight and through tomorrow afternoon, I will have all the results for you on tomorrow's episode. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Since it's election day, with several more to follow in the coming weeks, I thought I would take a minute to discuss election failures, from long lines and mechanical errors to voter suppression and foreign interference. Margaret Sullivan, writing in the Washington Post this morning, says that there are real dangers out there and that the press isn't covering them enough, which only exacerbates the potential impact. Quoting Sullivan, There were the Iowa caucuses, when glitches with an untested new app delayed the state's election results for havoc-filled days that turned into weeks. Or the Texas Democratic primary, where some Super Tuesday voters waited in line to vote for more than six hours while others simply gave up. Or the California primary that same day, when faulty new touchscreen voting equipment triggered hours-long waits in Los Angeles County. If comparable disaster in November robs well-intentioned voters of their chance to be heard, or worse, gives bad-faith partisans an excuse to undermine the credibility of the vote, then the news media will bear a share of the blame. End quote. The reason media needs to be putting more attention on this, says Richard Hassan, a law professor at UC Irvine and author of Election Meltdown, is to get ahead of the narrative both to assuage accusations if and when things go wrong, but also to put pressure on local officials to get their act together. Quoting the Washington Post, yes, there's plenty of attention paid when something goes wrong, as in Iowa or on Super Tuesday, but overall, the coverage tends to be haphazard, after the fact, and not oriented enough to deeper issues, such as the pressures and inducements for governments to invest in untried new voting machines. David Levine, a former elections supervisor, told NPR, quote, With public confidence in elections already shaken by the 2016 experience, even innocent problems or disruptions can have a corrosive effect. NPR continued, Counties and local jurisdictions can buy back goodwill by executing well in states that are still scheduled to vote between now and November, but they can also inadvertently fuel suspicions. Quoting Levine again, It's really important that local elections officials have an opportunity to assess what worked, what didn't, and work assiduously to try and mitigate these issues. The perception of interference can be as dangerous as interference. The administration of elections need to be as seamless as possible. Long lines at polling places can mean people choosing to leave lines and not vote, or not vote in the future. It has the ability to undermine the democratic process and play into the hands of foreign adversaries end quote. Margaret Sullivan in the Washington Post also brings up the issue of voting rights and how the 2013 weakening of protections of the Voting Rights Act is having real effects at polling locations across the nation. Quote, the long lines on Super Tuesday trace directly back to the high court's ruling that states no longer need federal approval to close polling places. That empowered Texas alone to close more than 600 polling places in recent years. Sullivan then quoted Ari Berman from a recent interview, saying, quote, It disproportionately hurt Democratic and minority voters, because 70% of the polling places were closed in the 50 counties in the state with the largest growth of Black and Latino voters. Richard Hassan told Sullivan, however, quote, You're more likely to be disenfranchised by incompetence than voter suppression. The Iowa caucuses are a case in point. With those results still murky, it amounted to a failed election, end quote. In addition to all of that, however, there's also the matter of foreign interference. The New York Times reported this morning, quote, The Russian government has stepped up efforts to inflame racial tensions in the United States as part of its bid to influence November's presidential election, including trying to incite violence by white supremacist groups and to stoke anger among African Americans, according to seven American officials briefed on recent intelligence, end quote. The New York Times explains, quote, Russia's primary goal, according to several officials briefed on the intelligence who spoke on condition of anonymity to discuss sensitive information, is to foster a sense of chaos in the United States, though its motivations are under debate and difficult to decipher in the absence of high intelligence sources inside Moscow. The Times continued, American officials are divided about whether Russia is provoking racial division to influence the presidential election. Some officials think the effort is separate from any Kremlin effort to favor Mr. Trump, but others argue that Russian intelligence officials believe their efforts could help turn out more of Mr. Trump's core voters, though their understanding of American electoral politics is unclear. End quote. The tactics being used do mirror many from the 2016 election interference, but with some added innovation. Quoting NPR, the enemy also gets a vote as Pentagon officials like to observe, and officials and observers suggest that influence mongers are changing their tactics in response to the American countermeasures. For example, Twitter's head of site integrity, Yoel Roth, told NPR that his network traces few or no posts directly to Russia, as was the case before. Now, he believes, influence specialists are seeking to do more to amplify real divisive material posted by real Americans. The New York Times adds, quote, Rather than disseminate messages as widely as possible, as in 2016, Russian operatives are using private Facebook message groups, posts on the online message board 4chan, and closed chat rooms that are more difficult to monitor, according to intelligence officials. End quote. NPR concluded, Election security observers said disclosures made like those by national security officials about continued interference activity are constructive— But the implications of being able to influence and shape perceptions online are profound, and that's not going away, end quote. Basically, there are a ton of stumbling blocks to even being able to vote in this country, so if you can, do, and also do your best to stay informed and help others stay informed as well. Before I leave you to follow all of the primary results today, just a quick check-in on how the COVID-19 outbreak could and already is affecting the election. I half-joked but was honestly serious the other day that we should be concerned about our presidential candidates holding all these rallies and meeting all these people. Well, that was just slightly before public health officials recommended all adults over 60 avoid crowds. As a reminder, all three major presidential candidates, including the current president, are in their 70s. And at the moment, none of them plan to stop holding rallies. But Biden and Sanders have at least addressed the concerns, quoting The Washington Post. Joe Biden's digital staff was envisioning options for virtual campaigning if sweeping changes were necessary. Senator Bernie Sanders' campaign already has an elaborate streaming operation, which it said it could tap in the event that campaigning is curtailed. Already, both campaigns have been providing hand sanitizer at events, end quote. One of the most immediate concerns this week is those mail-in ballots I mentioned in Washington State. Voters were urged to not lick the envelopes, but rather use a wet sponge or cloth to seal them. That news probably got out a bit too late for most voters, but poll workers are handling ballots with gloves. And the CDC has put out a guide for poll workers and election officials across the nation on how to prevent the spread of COVID-19 throughout the voting process. Quoting the New York Times, Just how big a public health emergency the virus will become remains unknown. But the virus is already affecting the primaries in complications for voters overseas, canceled party fundraisers, and polling places that open late on Super Tuesday because worried poll workers failed to show up. And if the outbreak continues to grow and intensify... Or, if like the 1918 influenza, the contagion abates and then comes roaring back in the fall, it may be too late to do anything about it before the presidential election. Richard Hasson, the UC Irvine professor and election law expert who weighed in on the last segment on other election challenges and who is clearly putting his expertise to good use these days, told the New York Times, The problem is, we don't have a plan for what happens if a part of the country faces a disruption on a presidential election day. What if one part of the country is affected? if it's California or Florida? The closer we get to an election, the harder it's going to be to come up with rules that look fair. end quote. There are a lot of other concerns and moving parts related to coronavirus and the election, so I'll be keeping you updated and maybe doing a deeper dive soon. But for now, if you want to keep up with vital coronavirus information more generally, not just as it relates to the two thousand and twenty presidential campaign, I want to let you know about a new show in the Ride Home Podcast Network. It's called Coronavirus Daily Briefing. Like this show, it is a daily, 15-minute long summation of a news topic. This is just a news topic much more immediate and serious than even what we talk about every day. We very much hope that this will be a temporary show, but if you have been nervously refreshing all the feeds for more information about the coronavirus situation, this podcast is designed to keep you up to date. So search your podcast app and subscribe to Coronavirus Daily Briefing. And that is the election roundup for the day. As always, you can find Election Ride Home on Twitter at Election Podcast or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Election Ride Home. Thank you all for listening and have a great rest of your day.